Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter. If we let our lives express the holy gospel that we profess, there will be others in this assembly because of you. We sang it. Let's believe it and put it into practice. John 14. We have a couple of lessons here. We have in verses 7 through 9 our Lord's answer to Philip. And then in verses 10 through 14, we have our Lord promising some things to the apostles through him. I want to read these first three verses to you, verses 7 through 9. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? So we'll deal with this first, these three verses. But I want to remind you of where, we're, where we stand with these apostles to try to simplify this as much as possible for you to understand the context of these words. <laughs> Jesus said in chapter 13 and verse 33, there at the Last Supper in the upper room, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you, my eleven brethren, my eleven apostles, Jesus said, I'm going away. I've only got, actually, a few more hours. And where I go, you can't come now. He explains that in the verses that follow. But I'm leaving. And so we start here in chapter 14 with the opening verse saying, Let not your heart be troubled. Because their heart was troubled. Because Jesus was leaving them. Jesus said, You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes on to describe some things about his father. He promises them that there are mansions in heaven because of his father in verse 2, and that he's going to prepare a place for them in verses 2 and 3, and that if he goes, he'll come again and get them to take them to heaven to be with him forever. And that no man can go to the father in heaven except by Jesus Christ. So the father has been mentioned several times. Heaven's been mentioned several times. And after the final mention of that Father in verse 6, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, those are the last words of verse 6, he then goes on and transitions into some more information about the Father, Almighty God, the invisible, immortal, independent, eternal spirit, Jehovah of the Jews, our God, their God. He goes in, in verse 7, if ye had known me, Ye should have known my father. Now, brethren, I want to show you something today, and I hope that I can excite you further as we have prayed diligently in the back room and prayed diligently here that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ today. Amen. Because by seeing him, you get the master's degree in theology. I didn't say a master's degree. I said the master's degree because Jesus is the master. The master's degree in theology, because theology is the science or the knowledge of God. It's the study of God. And we learn about God by learning about Jesus. He's going to tell us that in these verses here. And we're going to learn true doctrine, because the words of Jesus were not his. The words of Jesus were not merely the words of the man of the Nazarenes. They were God's words. Then the works of Jesus. And the works of Jesus can be exceeded by those that follow and believe on him. Right. And the prayers. Jesus' prayers were heard. But the prayers in Jesus' name. If we see the connection of Jesus and his Father, Almighty God in heaven, and we can lay hold of that and excite ourselves to know Jesus Christ and to love Jesus Christ, there are four great blessings here that Jesus offered, gave, promised to his apostles to encourage them that though he was going away, they were more than sufficiently taken care of. In fact, 
he's going to say in verse 12, because I go unto my father, because I go unto my father, I will guarantee all these things because what I have initiated and what I have commenced, I am not going to let fall to the ground. I have started the kingdom of heaven with John the Baptist and you men are going to expand it and extend it greatly because I go to my father. I'm going to take care of all these things. And if you appeal to him by my name, he and I will do all these things for you. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're going to do great things for God. I want you to be able to see that. So we see verse one, you believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. There's the first encouragement of this chapter to believe in Jesus Christ. In verse 7, what I just read, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father. So there's encouragement to know Jesus Christ. And then verse 12, he that believeth on me is the clause that I'm going to pull out of that verse and show you the importance of it. He's talking to his 11 apostles. And he says, he that believeth on me. And he's including them. That if they would truly believe on him, what would happen to them and for them? So let me say it again about the fourth time. True theology, true doctrine, separate from the study of God, the doctrine of God's will for our lives, the revealed will of God, the doctrine of God, the works of God, and power, and prayers being answered and heard. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling his apostles. After three and a half years and all the miracles that he had done, the time he had spent with them, and the time he had preached, this is what he wanted to say to them. And they had been with him for three and a half years, and he's going to appeal to that right here in his first answer to Philip. Have I been so long with you, Philip, and you haven't yet grasped who I am and what I am? I am God in the flesh. Look at me. See my character Watch my conduct, listen and measure my doctrine, and look at the miracles if you just don't want to believe me. <laughs> we shouldn't have to look at the miracles. Right. If Jesus said it, that should be sufficient. Right. And that's the line of reasoning he's going to follow. It was expedient for Jesus to go away, and because I go away, this is what you have, apostles. Now go turn the world upside down. And we have our own little world, not so much to turn upside down, but we have the world to overcome. And how do we overcome the world? He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I hope things said thus far make sense. Okay, John 14 and verse 7. If ye had known me, Jesus had referred to the Father in verse 2 and in verse 6, and now he pressed his apostles to know him better. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father. This father that I just, before Philip asks, Philip interrupts. Forget about Philip for a moment. Jesus is offering and challenging them about knowing him and seeing the father because he himself, Jesus, had mentioned the father in verse 2 and in verse 6. So it's Jesus provoking them a little by explaining something that they don't understand yet. And Philip's going to prove that to us. Jesus had promised mansions in his Father's heaven and that he would take them to the Father and so forth previously to this statement. Here is true theology. Jesus in the Father and the Father in Jesus. That's as close as two people can get to our understanding. Right. That, is the, that is the nature of Jesus Christ is God. Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead in a body, Colossians 2.9. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. He is the express image of the invisible God, Hebrews 1.3. So when you see Jesus, you're seeing what you will never see anywhere else. No one has ever seen God, and no one ever will see God, but you don't need to see God, because if you've seen Jesus Christ, you've seen God. You've seen God in action in this world in a body like yours with faithful friends around him and unfaithful enemies around him. And you see him responding to both. You see God's character coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what else do you want to know about God? 
Is he a bright light? Or do you want to know God's character? But if you want to know God's character, we have the Bible that tells us about God's character, but we have it in a living form of the Son of God. We have one of the best collections of the attributes of God pulled out of the Bible. We do. We. Our church. But don't be satisfied with it. I like our collection. I love our collection, but don't be satisfied with it. Let's love the Lord Jesus Christ that embodies that collection. Right. He made the heavens. Yeah. Ephesians 3.9. The Lord Jesus Christ made the heavens. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Amen. Okay. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father. Right. Jesus starts off with that. Now he knows what Philip's going to do to him. But he starts off with that, and he's challenging us. We know God through his son, Jesus Christ, and I want us to embrace that son because God loves his son, and he'll bless us for loving the son that he loves. God has honored his son. God wants all men to marvel about his son. It says that, John chapter 5. He wants all men to marvel. So let's just go ahead and give him what he wants. And it's the most exciting thing to do in your life is to marvel about the Son of God. And God delights in that. And as our brother prayed, we would see Jesus. Those certain Greeks said when they came to the feast, we would see Jesus. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you, but not very much. We would see Jesus. Those men said to the apostles, we want to be the same way. The eleven had known Jesus, but they had not known him like they should have known him. They had spent the last three to four years with Jesus privately and publicly. They were deficient because of their flesh, which you and I have. They were deficient by poor Jewish ideas of the Messiah, which we don't have. And they were deficient because Jesus had withheld the Holy Spirit from them thus far, which spirit we have. So we don't have all their disadvantages. We can know Jesus right now the way they ended up knowing him after the day of Pentecost. They did not understand that Jehovah was resident in Jesus by nature as the word of God. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The word of God is God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's the Trinity of God right there in John 1.1. They didn't understand that. They did not grasp the transcendent purpose that he was about to initiate that very night of redemption by dying on the cross to satisfy the righteous demands of God's law. They would know all things better in just a few days, but we want to know all things better in just a few minutes. We want to know Jesus Christ better and love him more. We should ask ourselves what we do not know as we should know. Because when Jesus said, if ye had known me, If you would have asked the 11, do you know this man? They would have said, sure we do. But Jesus said, if ye had known me. Let's not let him say that about us. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father. Are we deficient in our knowledge of Jesus Christ? Totally unrelated. Let me distract you for 30 seconds. If you read 1 Kings 2 in the last few days, It's entirely unrelated to this. But much wisdom of the character of David and Solomon are in 1 Kings 2 and all the political intrigue, bloodletting, promises, commitments, and reneging on promises that is in that chapter show us real wisdom. Real wisdom is not the black and white junk of rote trained monkeys that want a banana. Real wisdom is gray. Solomon promised Bathsheba, his mother, anything she wanted up to half the kingdom. She opened her mouth with one sentence, and he said, not a chance, and I'm going to kill the person that asked you for that. you got to read the whole chapter. Because real wisdom is wisdom in practice. It's more than just a concept. And in 1 Kings 2, it's there. But when we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see it as well. 
He's the son of David. And we see wisdom at a higher level than David ever had it. And one greater than David is here. Jesus himself said one greater than Solomon is here. Amen. About himself in Matthew and the sixth chapter. Let's learn everything we can about the Lord Jesus Christ because he reveals the invisible God to us. This verse introduces a profound section of John 14 of four things that we may have by faith in Jesus Christ. The fifth time, the proper knowledge of God the Father, the knowledge of true doctrine, power in our lives with works. We don't need miracle works. Why stoop for something so low? Why don't you reach for higher ground? Listen, those works went away after 40 years. They were so insignificant. All they did was get the church rolling. Then we have real works, changed lives, changed affections. That's power. Filled with joy, peace, and hope, as I've mentioned, and then power in prayer. This verse right here starts it, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. So we got to keep moving a lot faster, but I want you to see right there, if ye had known me. what is he going to ask that of us? Is he asking that of us right now? Yes, he's asking that of us right now. Do we know Jesus the way we should? Thursday evening, we will have a spiritual prayer meeting. After our Wednesday night, family night supper and Bible study, Thursday evening will be delighting in Jesus Christ at the home of David Smith. Because we want to beg God to delight in his son more than we have in the past. And what we miss about him, we want the Holy Spirit to show us. We want to see him in his fullness. He is full of grace and truth. We don't have very much grace and truth. He's full of it. But we want to see it all. Lord, help us. You should have known my father also. It's a key statement. Knowing Jesus brings profound knowledge of Almighty God. Let's not just reduce him to a table of attributes. Let's see God in action through Jesus Christ. His character, his conduct, his doctrine, his miracles reveals Jehovah to us gloriously. To know Jesus was to know the Father. For Jesus and the Father were one. John 10, 30. I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He has taught this before. This is not the first time. Jesus had taught the very same thing to the Jews in John chapter 8. Jesus and his Father were one in nature. They're both God. One in attributes. One in operations. One in plans. One in purpose. One in glory. One in union. They were totally united together. We glory in the fact that Jesus is the express image of God. Then Jesus said, and from henceforth ye know him. Henceforth means from this time forth. From now onwards, Jesus is going to use this again in John 15, 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants. Meaning that I'm going to tell you everything that's going on now. I haven't been able to tell you because you didn't understand it. And the things I did try to tell you, you told me not to tell you. And that you rebuked me for even trying to tell you that I was going to be crucified in Jerusalem. But I'm going to tell you everything from now on. And from now on, you're going to know the Father and me better than you've known either of us. Because I'm going to make sure of that through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals Jesus Christ. Charismatics, all they understand about the Holy Spirit mainly, is that the Holy Spirit reveals the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals some sort of anointing. Instead, the Holy Spirit's whole ministry is to bear witness of Jesus Christ and his doctrine and his glory and his attributes and as the Son of God. And so the emphasis where the Holy Spirit is, is all on Jesus. It's not on the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't want any emphasis on him. The Spirit wants the emphasis on Jesus because God loves his Son. And God sent his Spirit into our hearts, testifying that we're the sons of God that we would love, his Son. We have the witness in ourselves that Jesus is the Son of God. From 1 John chapter 5 that we read earlier. And from henceforth ye know him. We're in John 14 and verse 7. Jesus would change their perception and knowledge by his word, his spirit, and further word of revelation. John 14, 7, And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Because I'm correcting you right now with my words. 
the Holy Spirit is going to open things up to your understanding, and then I'll reveal more to you by inspiration. So from, from here on, you're going to know him better because you're going to know me better, and you're going to see him. Now, Jesus knew what that was going to do by saying that you're going to see the Father. So Philip gets all excited. He's at the fire station. Do you want to see the hook and ladder? Yes. If I can see the hook and ladder, I'll be satisfied. Every Jew wanted to see God. Moses wanted to see God. Lord, show me your glory. Moses, no man can see me alive and live. No man can see my glory. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20. And so Philip does that. You know, we're prone to that. We wish we could see God. We wish we could see a pillar of smoke, a pillar of fire. Why do you want to see those things? Jesus Christ, what is a pillar of cloud going to tell you about God? What's Jesus Christ going to show you about God? Everything. Let's delight in him. Let's ask for him. Let's seek him. When we read the pages of scripture, let's embrace every word spoken by him, every word written about him to learn as much as we can of the Lord Jesus Christ. If ye had known me, in verse 7, Jesus to his eleven, comforting them in their troubled hearts, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him, because you're going to understand that I am God in the flesh, and you have seen God as much as you're ever going to see of God. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. You can cut this whole sermon short, because we'll be satisfied if you'll just show us the Father. Now, he just explained it in verse 7. But Philip wants to see something visual. And let me go back to last Sunday. We are tempted in our natures to want things that we can see visually. Right. We want things natural instead of things spiritual because we're natural. But there's a spiritual part of us. And it's that spiritual part of us that should want the spiritual knowledge of Jesus Christ, his character and his conduct that reveals to us his Father in heaven. But no, here's Philip. He wanted to see God, show him, because Jesus had just shown, had just explained to Philip a spiritual way of seeing God. Right. Philip wasn't content. It didn't suffice. He wanted to see him physically. That would suffice him. So he asks, he interrupts in verse 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. What a shame. Let's not be like that. The desire to see the Father, the eternally invisible Jehovah, was foolish and is foolish and shall always be foolish. Right. Let's see the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, let me say it again, the image, Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God. Amen. We worship an invisible God. So what are we going to show each other? What's God going to show us since he's invisible? The Bible says he's invisible. He dwelleth in a light that no man can approach unto, Amen. that no man hath seen nor can see. Why do you want to see him? With those two little bags of mucous membrane hanging in the two holes in your skull. Why? Let's get over that. Let's run past it to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to. Philip's just having a little speed bump here problem. Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Philip said, Show us the Father. Jesus responds with, Have I not been with you for a long time, Philip? Because he had just explained it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've been with you for three and a half years, Philip. Now, let's forget the three and a half years in picking on Philip and about a hook and a lad, hook and ladder, fire truck in a fire station. Let's talk about us. How many years have you said you've known Jesus Christ? How much more are you like him? How much more do you love him personally? Embrace him personally. Love the word of God about him personally. You know, I was in 1 John chapter 5. I didn't read to you the first half of verse 1. The first half of verse 1 says something like this. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I didn't read that to you. You know why? Because I'm tired of it. Does that hurt your feelings? I'm tired of it. 
I'm tired of going into a wonderful place like 1 John chapter 5 and worrying about regeneration preceding faith. That is infantile information. How about a changed life because you've been regenerated? Do you know what the second half of that verse is, which was always neatly ignored? Do you know what the second half is? And if you love him that begat, you love them also that are begotten of him. Well, that was neatly ignored because if we're going to have a seminary class and call it a church, we ignore anything that is true religion. The first half of the verse is not true religion. The devils know it, but the devils don't know the second half of the verse. The changed life. And it progresses to say, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we confirm the witness God's put in us and the witness God has put outside us about His Son. And we want to embrace that Son. And we want to love like that Son loved. Herein is love. You know, John chapters 3 and 4 are all about here is love. The Father, that Jesus loved us and gave Himself for us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if he so loved us, we ought to love one another and lay down our lives for one another. That's religion. That's what we want to get. And so here, when we look at this, we want to get everything we can about the character of Jesus Christ out of, and, out of, and the character of God out of seeing Jesus. So in verse 9, Jesus answers Philip, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? How long... Has it been that we have known Jesus? Do we have the changed lives that show that we truly know him? Correct theology, correct doctrine, correct power. Devils can have the first two. They have the first two already. But the third one is power. Being filled with all... I'm going to use an easy verse because it says power in it being filled with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And all that's required of us or stated of us in that verse are the two words, in believing. And so we want to believe. We want to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ to obtain His power. And His power is by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4. Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? O Lord, we've known you for a long time. Do we know you like we should know you? I'm just going to say, no, we don't. We can know him better. So let's press for it. Let's ask for it. Let's run and fall at his feet. Let's anoint his feet. Let's not be running around in the back room fixing a meal for him. Let's run to him personally. And Lord Jesus, this is your church. And we are all here for you today. We are not here for the pastor. We are not here for any family members. We are here for you today. Come to us. Show us yourself by your spirit. Show us yourself by your word. We want to know you that we might know the Father the way you want us to know him and the way that he wants us to know him. We want to marvel at everything you did to honor the Father because he honored you. Lord, help us. Heavenly Father, hear us as we call upon thee in Jesus' name. Have I been so long time with you? He's been with us a long time. My older brothers and sisters in here were going the way of all flesh. He's been with us a long time. Do we know him like we should? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? I love our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is in his deepest hour of need, and he has to rebuke his apostles for asking dumb questions. Because he had just explained it in verse 7, and in verse 8, Philip's contradicting what he said in verse 7. So in verse 9, Jesus goes back and repeats it, Didn't I just explain that? So why are you asking me, show us the Father? Thank you, Lord, for gently putting up with our ignorance, our stubbornness, 
our naturalness, our blindness, our spiritual slothfulness. Have mercy upon us and forgive us. I'm, we've wasted your time. We haven't taken advantage of every word that you've revealed to us. We haven't taken advantage of the Holy Spirit like we should have. Forgive us and renew your efforts with us. Be kind to us and explain it once again, and we'll get it this time. Are you with me? Are we going to get it this time? We want to advance in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're going to be praying for it Thursday. I'd like it to be an overflowing situation. We'll set up a tent in the backyard. Verse 10. Don't worry, David. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Jesus is now going to expand upon his explanation about seeing him is seeing the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Tricky verse. Neat verse. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to, unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son." If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Don't worry, brothers. My 11 apostles, I'm going away, but I'm going to take care of you from top to bottom. I'm going to show the Father to you. I'm going to show true doctrine. I'm going to give you miracle power I never had. And if you need anything, ask, and I'll do it for you. That's comforting. It's comforting to us. Amen. Because in 1 John chapter 5, I've got the same words, and they're to us and not to the 11 about asking in Jesus' name. Right. We do not waste space or supply redundant syllables when we close out our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've been getting a little worked up over the last few months of wanting to say, in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Because I want to give God a little more honor about His Son. And I want to show the Son that we honor Him in Jesus' glorious name. The best part of your prayer is when you get to the end and say, in Jesus' name. Heaven quivers when you say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoa, you have appealed to God's Son. And you are stating that He has authority with God. God likes that. God loves that. And so we pray, in Jesus' name. Let's make that the most emphatic part of our prayer. Okay, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? You should know that. The disciples, like the other Jews, did not fully grasp that Jesus was God, David's Lord, not just David's Son. So intent were they on the Messiah delivering them naturally, nationally, they missed the profound fact the most profound fact about him, that he was God in the flesh. They wanted a Messiah that would deliver them politically. Jesus had declared, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, in verse 9, and now he's expanding upon that because when you look at me and watch me and measure my character, you're looking and seeing God because the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Now when you, do, when you say that about two parties, those parties are pretty united. Because Jesus in his divine nature was God. And God in the word was in Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus. So Jesus could say, the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. The connection is absolute one of nature. My divine nature is divine. It is the Father. It is the Godhead. The fullness of the Godhead. And the poor Jews and the poor apostles were looking for something like a, a new political leader, like David had been, but Jesus was God's son, and Jesus was God here on earth. He stated his unity with the Father that was such that they were in each other. Jesus in his divine nature was the Father, and in the Trinity with God in his divine nature. 
God in his manifestation to men was in Jesus of Nazareth. He then progressed to evidence of the fact that Almighty God the Father was active in him. Now he said it. Is that enough for you? Amen. Do you believe that the words of God, the words of the Lord are pure words? Amen. Are they purified seven times? Can we trust them? Are they faithful and true? Yes. Then if Jesus said it, that's enough. Right. We shouldn't need the next verses, but he gives them to us anyway because he is a generous being. <laughs> Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Don't you believe it because I've said it? I said it in verse 7. I said it in verse 9. Don't you believe it? I said it in chapter 8 to the Jews. Don't you believe it yet? We should believe it just because Jesus said it. Now he's going to pick on us for not believing it if we need something more. He's going to do it in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Believe me. Or else... Notice, we have two options. We can believe him because he said it, or we can believe him because of his miracles. How do you want to do it? I'm there, Lord. You say it, I believe it. Amen. That settles it. For me, it's settled. Amen. I don't need to see your miracles. You're the Son of God. I hope you see that. We always want to be the first ones to believe. Let's be a church that eagerly believes everything Jesus said. And how do we show that? We keep his commandments. We show a changed life. We do what he said. But here we are in verse 10. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. Aha. Okay. This is, remember I gave you four things. I gave them to you five times. Can you remember the four things? Theology. Doctrine. Okay, we're right here. Doctrine. Look at what Jesus said. Believe me. That I am in the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? First half of verse 10. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. I was raised in Nazareth of Galilee. You men, you've heard me preach. Do you think I preached from that elementary school I went to on the edge of the Sea of Galilee? Not a chance. The words, the words, the words that you heard of me were from God. So if you hear words from me formed and enunciated by my mouth, they are God's words. What else do you want to know about God? They're God's words. This is verse 10. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. The Father that dwells in me gives me those words. This is not new. And I am not going to retrace all our steps through the early chapters of the Gospel of John. But earlier in John, we learned this, that what Jesus said was given to him by his Father. Right. His doctrine didn't arise, arise with him or arrive with him. It came from God through Jesus Christ. So we have his doctrine. The, his doctrine was profoundly true and wise and didn't originate with just a Nazarene. There was God in the flesh preaching to them. He had declared that his teaching was from God in chapter 3, 7, 8, and 12. The first evidence that J Jesus gave Philip and the apostles of the Father being in him was doctrine. After that, after we see the character and conduct of Jesus, then we see his pure and perfect doctrine. Because my words, my word, and the things he taught. John chapter 8, our brother in Nigeria wrote me in the last few days and said that John chapter 8 and understanding Jesus slicing through their legal errors in bringing the woman taken in adultery had blown his mind about the brilliance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Do you remember when it blew ours? Because that's our Lord Jesus Christ and his brilliant way of handling that difficult situation. His doctrine. Oh, it's beautiful. Judge not by the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. It's amazing. People want to judge by what they see instead of thinking through all the angles and looking at it circumspectly, which means inspecting it in 360 degrees all the way around in a full circle. The Lord just teaches wisdom over and over again. Amen. 
If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether I speak of God or whether I speak of myself. How do we learn true doctrine? By obeying the Son of God. John 7, 17 is a wonderful verse. But the Father that dwelleth in me, an evidence of the Father in Jesus, was his doctrine originating from the Father that was in him. No man ever spoke like Jesus. Do you remember when the rulers of the Jews sent sergeants to arrest Jesus? And they came back and they said, where is he? We couldn't do it. Why? No man ever spake like this man. Where'd those words come from? They came from God the Father in him. Jesus not only had a divine commission from heaven, but the Father living in him. Jesus had the Spirit without measure. Do you remember that? John chapter 3 and verse 34, when it describes the doctrine of Jesus Christ and his teaching, it's because he had the Spirit without measure in him. Jesus described the Father dwelling in a man, and he does by the Spirit in us. God dwells in us by his Spirit, and God dwelt in Jesus, but just in a much closer union so that they were one. I and my Father are one. We are not God. Jesus was God. We are the sons of God. And we have the Spirit of God. But we're not God like Jesus was. And so Jesus is explaining that, that the, first of all, you should believe me when I tell you that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Second, think about my doctrine. Think about my preaching. You know my educational background. Do you remember what the Jews would say? This man doesn't know letters. This man never went to school. This man's no scribe. How does he preach like this? And as soon as the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the apostles, is the same thing going to happen in Acts chapter 3 and 4? They're going to perceive that these are unlearned and ignorant men, that they had been with Jesus because of their doctrine, their preaching. It wasn't eloquence. If it was eloquent, they wouldn't have known they were unlearned and ignorant men. It was the doctrine, and it came with authority and power. And so did it from Jesus Christ. Now look at what it does in the last part of this verse. Verse 10. He doeth the works. I thought he said words. Are we going to trust John? Are we going to trust Psalm 12, 6 and 7? Are we going to trust it? Should the word works be the word words, or should the word words be the word works? No? We can just go ahead and take them both? (laughs) We're going to take them both. That the Lord Jesus Christ is just throwing both of them into one short sentence. And both of them are evidences that the Father is in him. His doctrine, then his miracles. Okay. But it is kind of interesting, isn't it? When you, when you read verse 10, the second half, The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, meaning they're from God the Father. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And he slides from words into works. He slides from preaching into miracles. They're both showing that God Almighty is in me. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Believe me because I'm telling you, or else believe me for the very works sake. Go ahead and look at my miracles if that's what it takes. And Jesus taught this in other places. If you can't believe me, if if there's not enough light to believe just what I'm saying to you, that I am the Son of God, then look at the miracles. No man does without a single failure the extensive miracles that I have done in the breadth of the number of people involved and the depth of the difficulty of the task, including raising from the dead, including the entire elements of a great storm on the Sea of Galilee, including the chemical and particles of a, small la- of a small lunch of a lad that he fed 5,000 with, that there were more leftovers than there were to start with. Power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his miracles. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Let's believe that as we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus wanted to teach his apostles in his last hours. This is what he's teaching us today. That if we will embrace Jesus Christ and look at him, in, not just in a word, in his character and in his conduct, not in a crucifix. There's only a curse in a crucifix. There is no blessing in a crucifix. 
That's a blasphemous piece of junk from the Roman Catholic whore. It's the character and the person and the words and the conduct of Jesus that we measure God and see God and know God. And if we don't believe him, believe me for the very work's sakes. Jesus of Nazareth performed miracles by a different protocol than did anyone else ever before. For Elijah and Elisha to have to raise the dead, they had to pray to God and appeal to God and ask God for power to do it. Jesus didn't have to. Jesus just said, Lazarus, come forth. There's a big difference. The apostles didn't do it quite that way either. You know what the apostles had to do? In the name of Jesus. Silver and gold, Peter and John. Silver and gold have we none, but what we do have we give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Notice, it wasn't resident in themselves to have all the power. It was through Jesus Christ. The apostles had to appeal to God. Jesus Christ didn't have to appeal to anyone because he was God. He simply said, maid, arise. And that maid sat up and he said, feed her. She's hungry. That's our Lord. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, What is he saying that for to his eleven in a private room? He that believeth on me. He is encouraging them to greater faith. And he is encouraging us to greater faith. Verily, verily. This is one of the 25 times in the Gospel of John where that attention-getting phrase is used. It is not used anywhere else in the Bible. It is only in John 25 times. Verily, of a truth, of a truth, I say unto you, I'm about to tell you something great. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now he has just used his miracle works in verse 11 to prove that he's the Son of God and God's in him. If you don't believe me that the Father's in me, then just look at the miracles. But verily, verily, I want to say unto you, if you'll believe on me, you'll have that same divine power. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and we have the world to turn upside down, and I have only gotten things started. I'm going to my Father, and I'm not going to leave you powerless. I'm not going to leave you comfortless is coming, but I'm not going to leave you powerless right here. You're going to have power to do what I did, and you're going to have power to do what I didn't do. You're going to convert the Gentiles. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. The apostles went to strangers, to foreigners, and they received them. It's amazing. Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Through the apostles. Why? Because they believed on Jesus Christ. Everything was about Christ. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, it was all about Jesus Christ. It wasn't about Peter. It was all about Jesus. Acts chapter 3, it was all about Jesus. Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven, including me, the first pope. You can't use my name. There's only one name, Jesus of Nazareth. And the power they had. How did Peter heal from that moment on? How did Peter heal? With his shadow. Did Jesus ever heal with the shadow? The woman said, if I touch his garment, I'll be healed. With Peter, if I, they just brought them out in the street. When Peter walked down the street and his shadow touched them, they were healed. You know, it's sort of like Elisha and Elijah. Right. Elijah could raise the dead, but Elisha raised the dead when Elisha was dead. There's only, remember, I've told you, there's only one verse. You've got to read your Bible carefully if you're ever going to know that story. It's one of the best stories about Elisha. Right. His bones were in the bottom of a tomb. A man was killed in battle. They took the man and chucked him in the hole. Oh, and he landed on Elisha's bones and popped into life. Now that's pretty good when you're dead and you can raise the dead. Right. But this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's telling us, he's telling us, he is telling his 11 apostles, he that believeth on me. He's talking to his 11. He's encouraging them to faith in him. Because notice he shifts to ye. 
He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever ye. Who did miracles of the apostolic sort? Only the apostles and their immediate hearers, because that's what's taught in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. And these signs shall follow them that believe. The apostles preached with powerful miracles. These signs followed on those immediate first-generation hearers. The day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. At other times, Cornelius' household spoke in tongues. The church at Corinth had gifts starting with apostles, but miracles was way down here because miracles isn't very important. Miracles are not very... The devil can do miracles. But the first gift was apostles, then, evangel then prophets, then evangelists, and teachers. And miracles are below teaching because teaching accomplishes a whole lot more than miracles. That's why the emphasis on miracles is just contrary to the New Testament religion. Who cares if your body's better if you don't know the truth? Give me the truth and let my body be a mess is, what, is how we should look at life. Verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Now this doesn't apply to us directly because this is apostolic and their immediate hearers to do miracle works. Because the works that are mentioned in the last part of verse 11 are Jesus' miracles. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Were there some men that truly believed on Jesus? Yes, they were the apostles. They saw the Lord Jesus risen from the dead, and they believed on him, and God gave them exceptional power. The apostles had the whole collection of apostolic gifts like no others. An apostle meant that you could do any miracle anywhere, to anyone, anytime, every time. They were unique men, and they had to have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ because they were to witness that he was risen from the dead and then perform miracles to get the attention of unbelievers. Miracles are for unbelievers. What in the world do we need a miracle in this church for? We're already believers. We need truth, and we need the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see him better than we've ever seen him before. He was speaking to the eleven and giving them comfort and instruction for the future. This clause identifies means for four great things by faith in Jesus Christ. What's the means? He that believeth on me. How much do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll explain what it means to believe on him in verse 15, but that's not for today. Verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. But right now, we just want to embrace the Son of God. The Son of God, Jesus is not a concept. Christ is not a concept. The Son of God is not a concept. And I don't even want to distract you with eternal sonship versus incarnate sonship. We have the most thorough collection on that subject as well. Our collection on that subject is highly esteemed by others. So, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. Do you love the Son of God? Do you obey Him? And Lord, we want to honor you in this church. Lord Jesus, we want to honor you in this church. We want to be those that believe, though we're far removed from the apostles, and though the power you give us is going to be a different sort of power. We don't want miracle power. We want bigger changes in our lives. We want higher ground in our lives than some little miracle. Help us. We want to be bold like Peter preached in the day of Pentecost. We want to be full of joy and sing praises while we're in a dungeon like the Apostle Paul. We want to be able to face death and say, the Lord stood with me and that's all I need. Help us, Lord, to truly believe on you like the apostles did. He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and I'm not going to let this kingdom work fall to the ground. I'm going to give power to the apostles to keep it going and to expand upon it and to do greater things than I have done. Amen, yes. Paul wrote about faith as the means for tremendous Holy Ghost power in changing our lives from sadness to joy from conflict to peace, from hopelessness and discouragement to, being, to abounding hope.
Paul wrote about faith in Christ to be more than conquerors of foes. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans chapter 8. These things are taught. The works that I do shall he do also. What is the book of Acts? What's the full name of the book of Acts? The Acts of the Apostles, because it's the apostles performing miracles in fulfillment of this verse. And greater works. First, the apostles did miracles Jesus had not done, like the gift of tongues, serpents, and poison. Not mentioned in our, life's, in our Lord's life, but applied to the apostles. Second, the apostles did miracles in degree, greater than Jesus, by healing with shadows and healing with napkins and handkerchiefs. Third, the apostles had greater ministerial success by converting many Jews and Gentiles. Jesus' ministry was barely successful at all. We only find 120 gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But Peter had 3,000 converted the very first day and 5,000 later that day. Huge conversions by the apostles and the miracles they did. Because I go unto my Father. Here's the glorious kicker. Would you men let me go? Because I go unto my Father. All this is going to happen because I'm going to my Father. This is, we're not going to let the kingdom die. The kingdom is going to explode. Because I'm going to my Father and I won't be here personally, if you'll believe on me, you'll do the works I've done and you'll do greater works than I've done. And in case that isn't good enough for you, if you need something else, just ask in my name and I'll do it for you. And the Father will do it for you because you ask in my name and he wants to, and he's glorified when you ask in my name. Verse 13, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Brethren, and I get asked this question a lot, how do we pray? Do we pray to Jesus? Typically, no. There's only one prayer to Jesus. Oh, there's little ones that we could... Lord, save me. When Peter was drifting, was sinking down into the Sea of Galilee, Stephen, when he died, said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Because Jesus had stood up at the right hand of God to receive him. But ordinarily, we pray to Almighty God, the Father in heaven, and we appeal to him through Jesus' name. And that's what he means. Don't worry about whether God does it. For, this is what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do with verse 13. Whatsoever shall ask in my name, that will I do. I thought it was God the Father that answered my prayers. Oh, thank you. The answer is yes. Jesus is God. Don't complicate things. Just pray. And pray believing. Because he that believeth on me. But let him ask in faith. Because if you waver in your faith about prayer, you're not going to be answered. And so this is what the Lord Jesus Christ gave his 11 apostles. I'm leaving you. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. If ye have seen me, you've also seen the Father. He that believeth on me shall do the works that I've done and shall do even greater works. And if you need anything else, whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you. And then in case it was too complicated, the way he put it in verse 13, he just got rid of some of the extraneous material that might cloud your mind. And so he said in verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that simple enough? See, 13's too long for some people, so he cut it in half with verse 14. I want you to love verse 13 because when we ask in Jesus' name, we glorify the Father in heaven. And I want you to get that middle part, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God gets glory when we appeal in prayer through Jesus' name. There we are. You can overcome the world. Amen. You can overcome the world with true theology, the knowledge of God, by knowing Jesus Christ. True doctrine by knowing Jesus Christ because the words that came from the mouth of Jesus Christ that he taught his apostles and they went out in the world and taught exactly what he taught them. That doctrine is God through Jesus Christ and his apostles. You can have power in your life. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me was Paul to the church at Philippi. You can do anything that you need to do. Miracles are not helpful. We need character changes. We need Holy Spirit power to do what is right in our character, to fulfill Psalm 12.1. That takes Holy Spirit power. 
to do that. And then if you pray in Jesus' name, were those, were those apostles left helpless? Can you imagine if Jesus just deserted them? They were fishermen from Galilee. They were going to flounder and fail immediately. Do you know what they did? <laughs> they took the Jewish Sanhedrin on in their faces. They ordained deacons that took the Jewish Sanhedrin on and could not gainsay a deacon named Stephen. They ordained a deacon named Philip that went down and baptized the eunuch and went into the city of Samaria and converted about the whole city. But when he baptized them, they didn't get the Holy Ghost because he was only an evangelist. So they had to call for Peter and John to come down and lay hands on them for them to get the Holy Ghost so that that position of apostle was kept elevated in the New Testament church. Right. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Yeah. Did you enjoy singing about him earlier today? You can overcome the world. You can have this power. We can know God by knowing his son. We can know doctrine by knowing his son and what his son's apostles taught. That's what we have in the New Testament. We can have power for a joyful life, a spirit-led life. And we can have power in prayer by praying in Jesus' name. And when we get to those last words, saying it inside, in our hearts and in our minds, appealing to God, you can elaborate on it as much as you want outwardly, but inside we ought to be saying, Father, I love your Son. And I know that I'm using the most glorious name in the universe right now. And I'm not closing this prayer out tritely. I'm closing this prayer out dropping a name that's above every name. Right. May the Lord bless us to believe on him like we should. Amen.